Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Building with People for People, the Unfiltered Build podcast, where we make sense of the tech world and what we build through a human lens and dive into the journeys of our guests. I'm your host, Nigel Finley. Today, we talk mentoring, differences in working at a small company versus a large company, what it means to be a senior developer, and more. I'm joined by a special guest who has been tinkering with online businesses since he was a teenager, has run multiple small businesses, including an email marketing company and a software consulting business. He's a home brewer extraordinaire and is currently a software leader and problem solver working as a staff developer at Indeed.com. He's also my mentor. Welcome, Dan DeGrief. Hi, Nigel. Thanks for having me. Uh, that was a great introduction. <laughs> so let's just, let's just dig right in. Uh, let's start with how and why did you get into the software industry? Well, I got into the software industry when I was out of college. I uh, went to college for business and marketing and um, started working on online advertising and uh, marketing stuff. And then I found out that I actually liked building the websites and, and building the uh, solving those problems more than actually advertising and figuring out how to get users to use those platforms. And so... That's kind of where I uh, picked up PHP and um, ultimately made the transition after a couple of years of learning and uh, figuring stuff out that way on my own. Um, yeah. I love it. It always, it always seems like I feel like our stories are very similar in that the industries that we were in, we enjoyed to a certain degree, but being able to actually build the products that we were that we were selling uh, was was much more appealing. So I totally understand understand that perspective. So part of the reason why I wanted to have you on today uh, was because when I was starting my journey, uh, you were you were a mentor to me. So I I thought that it was appropriate for for you to come on and and for us to kind of talk about what mentoring is and 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 what it means as software developers. So can you just tell me a little bit in your own words, what is mentoring to you? Sure. Thanks. I appreciate those uh, kind words about um, me being your mentor uh, because I, I'm, I am passionate about mentoring other people. And uh, mentoring to me, I would say that there's multiple facets. Um, one being, you know, you want to help the person accomplish what they want to accomplish. And so that takes a lot of understanding of what they're actually trying to get out of this, where they're trying to go with their career, and uh, and then keeping an eye on what their current skills are, and maybe helping them at, or maybe helping them f figure out what they what they know they want to know, um, but also helping them push them in the direction of things you know that they need to know, but that they don't know they need to know, if that makes sense. And then the other aspect is along the lines of, if, it, if you're mentoring in the context of an organization, like you're on the same team or in the, in the same business, there's business goals. And so part of that mentoring is also to align the person's efforts and help them figure out the best way to leverage their effort to reach the goals of the organization as well. So why do you think, why do you think it's important? I mean, you kind of touched on company goals, but also our sort of company alignment, um, but also personal goals. Are there, are there other reasons why you think mentoring is, is an important aspect to, to, to software development and really any, any field in general? Well, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'll talk mostly about the context of software development. Um, I think it's along the lines of the, the fabled 10x developer. Uh, in my opinion, the 10x developer isn't about doing 10 times the work as another developer. It's about leveraging your knowledge through other people and helping those other people um, reach levels that, that you know they're capable of and uh, getting them to be more productive that way. Hmm. 
I really like that that mindset because sometimes when you think about the 10x developer, you think, oh well, it's a it's it makes it much more competitive in that oh well, I'm 10 times better than than you are. But in this case, you're saying, well, no, it's about teamwork and it's about collaboration and it's about leveraging the skills that you have to empower uh, others that you're working with to become 10x sort of in that collaborative spirit. Yeah, it's definitely a collaboration. And I definitely want to work with those 10x developers because they end up bringing me up and uh, hopefully I'm able to bring them up as well. And then everyone is operating at the collective best effort as opposed to the individual's different best efforts. For example, if you're very good at React and I'm very good at Java, well, if we don't work together, we're only going to be producing I'm only going to be producing Java the best I can, and you're only going to be producing React the best you can. But if we collaborate and learn from each other, over time we'll both be producing very good React and very good Java, and, and then we'll be able to um, jump in where the other one leaves off uh, and work together much better. And you multiply that by everybody that you work with on your team or maybe even within your organization, and you could, if you have that mentality, you could create some pretty powerful powerful uh, and efficient teams. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So really quickly, I kind of want to just just touch on sort of why mentoring has been important to me, uh, specifically in the context of our relationship. Uh, you know, we'd met playing in a social soccer league. And at the time I was working in a non-tech job and then making a career switch into software doing coding bootcamp. Uh, I knew I had known that you were a techie and I remember asking you after a game if, if you just want to grab grab coffee and talk about technology. It kind of started started there, and then you were gracious enough to turn it into regular meetings. Uh, we talked about how to interview, side projects you were working on, and you were a resource for me to ask questions and get advice about the different things that I was learning in boot camp. Uh, and one of the biggest biggest things that I took away well, let me rephrase that. One of the things that I really enjoyed was that you had, you had included me and actually paid me for doing some work on a side project you were working on. I think it was around, it was PHP, and we were working on a site to provide optimized images uh, to, to a client. And just the fact that you paid me and you included me in the project, right, at, at, at such an early part of my career... It just gave me such a sense of purpose and belonging and really encouraged me that this is something that I could turn my, my career into. So thank you for, for allowing me that, that opportunity. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you. That's, uh, I appreciate those kind words. And, uh, yeah, I think when, when you reached out to me, you probably, I don't know what your, what your true motives were behind the scenes, but, um, I just treated it as, hey, my one of my friends wants to uh, talk about tech, and that's cool. I'd love to do that. <laughs> and I didn't have any any sort of uh, preconceived, like, aha, I found a new mentor, or, or, oh, man, this guy wants me to mentor him or something. I just approached it as a casual sort of conversation. And, and hey, you know, I've had lots of conversations with friends about that sort of stuff, and they end up losing interest or find out that it's not for them. And, and that's okay too. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a good point. I think, <laughs> I guess the, the, the score, the story that I described made it sound like, Ooh, I'm going to seek out Dan. I want him as my mentor, <laughs> well, which, yeah, which, yeah. you know, I think looking back on it, that's kind of ultimately what happened in some sense, but also more importantly, you know, gained you as a friend and we can't, we have shared lots of, lots of stories and, and, um, you know, swapped advice since then what i think four years later yeah uh, well i think you've caught up later, and so you've caught up yeah. and perhaps eclipsed me in many ways uh, which well, is i don't know great, about that great but to I appreciate see it. <laughs> <laughs> so i guess i'm curious to kind of kind of dig in a little bit to so you used to work at conde nast and now you're at indeed and i'm curious if their mentoring culture uh, so the the growth mindset, if it differed at all uh, in practice between those two companies. Yeah, I think there were a lot of similarities 
I think something that was similar in both of them is that I was kind of hired in a senior role with the understanding that, hey, we're actually going to be hiring junior developers that will actively need mentorship. And one of your expectations of hiring you is that you're going to help these people. And they kind of uh, evaluated me on those that dimension as opposed to more than just my uh, programming skills or something like that. Nice, sort of the soft skills side of things. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of, uh, probably one of the main parts of being a senior engineer is, is are those soft skills of being able to leverage what you know. And I don't know if this goes for other professions as much, but it seems like mentoring is one of the, it's always been a big push, is that there's always there's always a junior engineer and there's always a senior engineer and they're always working together to try to solve a common problem. And it's always been a collaborative sort of setup as opposed to maybe other professions that don't necessarily have that. Although I can't speak too much because I haven't been in very many other professions. One of the other differences is that indeed they, there's kind of the expectation that's not a formal as much as one of the responsibilities of the more senior engineers is to go out into the organization and find opportunities to help others. Uh, no one is necessarily assigning mentors. It's more of an informal sort of building your own network within the organization and helping where you can see fit and connecting with others if you see opportunities for others to do that. That's more organic in that sense. That's really that's really great. So is there a mechanism or is it just sort of, or do they, does Indeed sort of offer that space and a little bit of time to help encourage that? Like, what does that look like from a, from a business perspective, like a messaging perspective, I guess? So Indeed yeah, is a giant company, of course, and um, there's lots of opportunities to do stuff outside of your immediate team. So you're you're on a product team, of course, and you have deliverables, but then you have some extra time, or rather, it's not extra time, it is, you can choose to spend your time doing the product team stuff, and as long as that's getting done to a satisfactory level, you're able to spend your time doing other things. For instance, joining a guild, and this guilds would be a common interest sort of gathering of people at Indeed from across different teams, and they might have an opinion, they might uh, set up best practices for Java, for instance, or best practices on how to write an API, hmm. a REST, RESTful API. And you can spend time doing that. And then if the guild produces a document, you, you can um, espouse that document throughout the organization through lunch and learns or, or, or seminars or stuff like that, or writing wikis and blog posts and things like that and leveraging your effort that way. That's really great. I think it, and maybe it's slightly easier at a larger company. We've definitely tried things like that at my company, but I think some of the pain points is that we just have such a small team and so much work. And so it's hard to, you know, we all want to create that space, but I think it's, it's hard at times to be able to make sure that we're allowing time uh, for that. So yeah, that is harder, and I think that's one of the benefits of a large organization is that uh, a more experienced developer can spend time mastering those sorts of skills and, and working on those larger collaboration and consensus building strategies as opposed to a smaller company which hires developers that might all be very similar because it's a smaller product and they might all be full stack devs and you might have eight of them or something. They're all experts in React because you interviewed for React expertise. Mm. And there might not be there might not be much to share, but there also might not be much interest outside of that to mentor as opposed to a larger organization that's hiring generalists that might not even know the language that they're expected to program in when they get hired. Mm. 
Hmm. But because of the framework that the company has or, or just the, the large breadth of knowledge that the company has and instilling sort of a growth mindset, it's, it's just about learning and being able to um, kind of jump in and, and make that happen and giving yeah. dev space if, to do that. If you've already hired a thousand engineers and hired them with the skill, you know they have the skills to teach other people Java and that they're actually interested in teaching people Java. If you find a good uh, JavaScript programmer, um, they feel very confident that they can pop that JavaScript developer onto a Java team if that JavaScript developer is actually interested in Java. And they'll pick up Java because they're going to be surrounded by Java experts that, that are happy to teach them. Yeah, I've never really thought about that as a difference between small companies and larger companies, but it, ma it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I guess that's something to consider, you know, when you're, when you're looking, if and when you look for a job, as to one of the major differences between a small company versus a larger company. You know, a smaller company, you wear lots of hats, you do lots of different things, but maybe you don't have opportunities to explore other growth areas that you're interested in, whereas in a larger company, you would have that that type of opportunity. Um, again, these generalizations, but, you know. True. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think they both have benefits. And I started my software career in smaller companies, um, I think mainly because I was not able to pass the interviews of the larger companies because I didn't have that computer science background that a college graduate might have where they can uh, adeptly complete the leak code challenges. I just couldn't do that because I had no idea. But I could build a website. So I got hired by companies that needed a web that that evaluated me on being able to build a website more than being able to solve an algorithm. And then I was able to eventually learn those sorts of algorithmic skills and then move on to larger companies. Whether you can learn things at a big company or small company, I think, yes, that, that was it. That, that is generalization. But I think smaller companies open you up to being, like you said, wearing multiple hats. They also move much faster and try new things much sooner than a large company would adopt those practices. So a small company is a fantastic place to learn a lot very quickly because they're always open to trying the new cutting edge things that will make them more profitable or allow them to produce software faster or um, that sort of thing. Try new ways of working versus at a large company you do, yes, you probably do have more free time to learn things that you're interested in, whether or not they relate directly to the bottom line of the business. And there's more opportunity to get dive, dive into the technical details of a certain technology, simply because big companies usually use a wide swath of technologies. So what, is the, what does that mean for you between a small and a large company? I mean, you've worked at, you've worked at both. What do you like about being at a small company and what do you like about being in a large company? What I like about working at a small company is that you're usually able to easily quantify the impact you have on the business and you can maybe even see it on a daily basis. Mm. You might be the person that made some massive impact on the business. At a large company, it... It's maybe more abstract <laughs> or longer term. Um, there's usually not like a six-month thing that you can do that you can directly stamp your name on and say, I was able to help with this and it made a huge impact in, in X dollars or, or X time saved. It's usually a more collaborative project with dozens of people involved and and your name is on it, sure, um, but you don't get as much glory, perhaps. Um, yeah. It's a little more of that collective at a large company versus possibly individual, more so at a smaller company. Yeah. And did you ask, which one do I like better? I did not ask that, but oh. if you want to answer that, I'd be curious to curious to hear. And, you know, I think... I don't, you know, I'm, I'm guessing it's not black and white, right? I think it probably depends the stage in your life, the stage in your career, what you're looking for, right? And sort of 
applying small versus large in your work, right, is is very dependent on multiple factors. So I guess the question would be, at this point in your career and in this point in your life, yeah, do you, what do you like? What fits you better? Yeah, I think regardless of the, well, there are some differences in point in life. For example, if I'm not physically capable of working 60 hour plus weeks anymore, well, that's going to just cut out a lot, a large portion of small startups that require that and uh, are very upfront about that's the, that's the work expectations. Um, But I think as long as you find a company, big or small, that meets your work-life balance needs, you'll be able to learn something and you'll be able to, you'll be able to go at your, you'll be able to get out of it what you want. Meaning if you want to hustle very hard and learn as much as you can about all sorts of things, you're going to be able to find a small company that does that and a large company that does that. That's not necessarily to say every small company will be a fit and every large company will be a fit, but I wouldn't rule out companies based on size because of the things that you want to learn or the, the path in your career. Now, there are just, in terms of salary expectations, larger companies are usually able to pay that those larger salaries and more senior, they have more senior roles. A lot of smaller companies just simply don't have the need for uh, an architect with 20 years of experience. And so they're not going to be able to offer the same salary requirements or the same salary as a Google or something that absolutely needs that knowledge and is willing to pay for it and can pay for it. So you might be limited to larger companies based on that sort of stuff. Unless you like to take the startup risks and and hope that the equity pays off someday. And it seems like nowadays that's happening more and more often. <laughs> I know. It's, it's pretty impressive how many times you see all these new new startups going to IPO and just raising so many different uh, series A, B, C, and for just millions of dollars. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. and so it seems like if I was going to do it again, I would probably take more risks like that when I was starting off because, you know, I wasn't... The, the salary differences between going from... If you're an entry-level developer, might not be that great. Look, like, looking back... Now, of course, I can't say in the time, obviously, it made a difference to me at the time. But looking back, I'm thinking, you know, the salary difference might not have been that great, but the equity could have paid off handsomely if I chose the right startup versus choosing a less growth, like a, a, a less hyper growth startup that's more mature or something. Um, but now, I can't really take those risks or I don't want to take those risks. And so I go for a stable, a stable job. Yeah. So regardless of whether you're at a small company or a large company or, you know, whatever stage you are in your career, uh, I'm curious to kind of talk a little bit about how to go about finding a mentor, right? You know, I think there's different, different approaches, formal, informal sort of, internal within your company or external outside of your company. Uh, Obviously, you know, you and I had a much more informal um, relationship and it was just more sort of meeting up as friends and chatting, chatting about tech. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, to be honest, I probably, I'm probably not the best person to ask about how to find a good mentor. Um, So that's something that I've struggled with through my career um, is being able to find them. I end up finding my mentors, they're very focused. It's not a broad mentorship that lasts many years, perhaps. It's more like uh, I might have two or three people that I can reach out to at any particular point in time. Like if throughout the year, I might talk to two or three people that will help me through certain topics. And those topics will be specific to that person. And that's who I go to for those sorts of things. But most of all of my successful mentorships 
as a mentor have been through what you described, uh, informal, that sort of we, and I, we never, for example, you and I never necessarily discussed, would you like to be my mentor? Right. And I wasn't even really treating it like that. If, like if someone had said, hey, are you Nigel's mentor? I would say, I would have said, I I don't know, maybe. <laughs> like, a, you know, there was no contract and there was no right, expectations right. on either side. It was just like a ongoing thing. Like, I mean, I talked to him about React and I gave him some advice and I hope it was helpful. And, uh, but I never, like, uh, assigned the label to it. Hmm. Um, and then every conversation that we would have it was always like not necessarily transactional but like if it continues fantastic and i'm happy to do that but if it if it ends for whatever reason well okay i'm i'm glad to have helped in the way that i could during that time whether you lose interest or whether you uh, think that i'm no longer valuable or (laughs) or um whether we just uh, you move across the country to seattle and we have to stop doing it um (laughs) yeah yeah so I think that's interesting. I think it's, a, it's an interesting point, right? Because I think when you, as a developer, when you're quote unquote looking for a mentor, I think the mentality there, it, it almost feels like on some level, informal is a really great way to go because on on some level, you're just you're just finding people to talk to about common interests, right? And sort of exploring in our case, technology-themed topics in a very informal setting, you know, over tacos, over beer, right? You know, Austin barbecue, right? So I think um, it's almost as if by not putting that label on it, to a certain extent, you you kind of get more out of it because there's less expectation and it's just two excited people talking about things that they're, they both like. And to your point, if it, if it keeps going great, if it doesn't, um, you know, I think then it's not, it's not meant to be. Well, then I don't know, maybe not meant to be is not how I would phrase it. I would say there's no success or failure criteria. It's not that mm. the mentorship failed. It's that was the mentor. That was the mentor mentor experience is for that particular instance or, or what you or I needed out of it was that was it. And it was a success just because that's what it needed to be. It didn't need to be more. And whether it's going on further or not, whenever it stops is that that was a success, Hmm. which I think maybe lightens the anxiety surrounding it. Is it, it's not to your mentee and I'm a mentor. That's not how I, Right. would think of it is because of course I'm learning things from you too all the time it's more there was some mentorship that occurred not mm-hmm. necessarily like a, I'm a mentor and you are the mentee and we're going to have a formal relationship where we sit down I've never first off I've never been in that sort of situation <laughs> but that sounds way more high expectation and high anxiety more than Oh yeah, I guess we ended up did we did end up having a mentor mentee sort of relationship, and wow, that was really beneficial, and I'm glad that that worked out, and, uh, and I'm happy that you have said you it, it helped you and that you appreciated it because it's always nice to hear those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. It's almost it's almost it's it becomes or it can be seen as a mentorship upon reflection but not as a motivation to establish the relationship, I think, at, le- at, at least in our case. And I think, I think a lot of times, I think that's, that's a great way to do it because I think when you work at a company, there's always lots of interesting people that you could, you could chat with. And so it just becomes about asking them to go to coffee and just have conversations with them, right? Become, become friends with them, right? And, and, and find common interests and don't force it, I think is the other, is the other thing. Because to your point, on reflection, you look back and say, oh, well, that only lasted a couple months. It's not really about that. It was like during those couple months, you shared some really interesting conversations, you know, you learned some things, 
And who knows, maybe in the next couple months, maybe you'll have a specific question about a specific topic that y'all talked about. And now you have a new resource to reach out to and have a conversation with. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the tables were turned as well. For instance, when through our discussions, I remember asking you, because at the time I was thinking about, do I want to go into software management or do I want to go into uh, become an architect or stay in the, in the individual contributor path? And so I was asking you, like, what, what is your experience with management? Why did you choose to get out of it? What, you know, what are the hard things? What, why is it a different skill set than being a developer? And so if it was a formal relationship where you had come to me and said, I'm looking for a mentor for React and, and Web 2.0 stuff, um, can you do this for me? I'm looking for a six-month commitment. Can, are you capable of doing this? I'm going to interview you and make sure that you pass all of my mentorship requirements in my it probably wouldn't have worked out, but also I absolutely wouldn't have asked you about the management stuff because, like, that's not the relationship. This is a formal mentorship relationship. You're here to learn from me. And uh, yeah. so I think that's kind of, I don't know if that happens. Maybe it does. I, <laughs> I've never, I've never come across a situation like that. And no one's ever asked me and I've never asked anyone else formally like that. Uh, well, so it's interesting because I, I've actually sort of, I've personally have looked for sort of an architect mentor. Um, we've, we've only had a few conversations, right? So that, that was very much more a formal sort of researching, finding people who are offering this. And, and, you know, on his website, he said, I mentor, uh, you know, so it's, it was, it was very, very clear that there was sort of those expectations there. Um, and there's also, there's also, sites like codementor.io, which is actually a paid service. Um, then there's also Coding Coach, which is another one, which is actually completely free. Uh, and they also have a, a Slack channel that you can join. Um, and so from some, some perspectives, things like Coding Coach, I think makes a lot of sense if you want to join a community, right? And you want to chat with like-minded people, maybe, maybe you're unable to find that in your current situation. But things, things like Codementor, you know, I think it is very, to me, it seems very transactional and very situational. Oh, I have this issue with Java. I need to go find somebody who can help me through this. It doesn't, it doesn't feel as long-term as, you know, the relationship that you and I have, right? Um, so it's interesting. I think there's, uh, to me, I think we're sort of defining mentorship as much more much more f fluid. It's a very fluid transaction, sort of bi-directional, but also not something that is sort of established up front, but more a, when you think about your experience, it's, 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 it's a framework to think about what transpired, I guess, which I think is an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe there's not really a curriculum. It's not teaching in that sense. Um, what are you, what, so did you have success with the architect mentor or is that currently ongoing? Well, so, so I, I did for the first, you know, a couple months, uh, but then, you know, I, I got busy and I just didn't, I didn't continue to pursue it. Uh, it was very valuable at the time. And I, I, you know, I, I have, desire to continue and to pick it up again because it is definitely an interest area in my career but yeah I just haven't done it and I think reaching out to that person is much more a formal exercise whereas if I had the same question I wouldn't hesitate to ask you like it would be so much easier for me just to shoot you a text or you know be like hey can we just jump on a quick call I have a question for you right so it's it's almost like the approach is it has to be different because of the expectations and because the pre-established framework that exists when it's a formal, uh, a, f a formal engagement. I see. And it, yeah. Do you think that the formal engagement is 
has as much buy-in, or in other words, is the mentor invested in your success? Do they check in on you? Do they, do they care about you? That's a really good question. You know, maybe that's why Code Mentor is valuable because it's a paid service. So the motivation for the mentors is that they're getting paid. Um, for my relationship, you know, he has quite a few different mentees. And so it's not, the impetus is on me, not, not necessarily him to, to initiate that, you know, check-in. So for instance, he doesn't necessarily know your current skill set or what you've been working on in the past. And he doesn't necessarily care unless you bring it up to him and say, here's my current situation. What do you think I should do? Well, so, I mean, at the outset he doesn't, but I mean, you know, our conversations were exploratory in that he wanted to understand my whole situation and where I'm coming from, what I'm doing, what is it that I want to learn? So in that perspective, it was very beneficial because he would say, okay, what is it that you are interested in learning and how can I help you get there? Interesting. So it sounds a lot like what I was saying earlier, um, but more transactional perhaps. Yeah, very much. I would like a mentor for XYZ. Can you help? As opposed to, hey, let's grab some coffee and talk about things that we're interested in. And I think there's that that gives you different timelines that can that can happen and and allow your relationship to last for different periods of time, I think, depending on how that is set up. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess for certain skills, maybe that's what you need to do is go find people who are essentially advertising themselves as I can help you with this versus I don't think when we met that either one of us necessarily knew what skills the other person wanted, had, or could offer help to each other. And it ended up, it could have been a fruitless investment. Of course, we would still be friends, but... (laughs) (laughs) You know, from a mentor or learning aspect, it could have been fruitless and maybe a waste of time in that context because you'd have to maybe have a coffee chit-chat with 10 people until you found one that you jived with versus putting in that and kind of finding, seeking that person out before you invest time. Well, and you know, honestly, I think when I when I first got started down, down this career path, that was kind of a lot, a lot of what I was doing. I mean, again our situation is different because we we were already engaged socially in a different activity, right? So we kind of already had that exposure to each other and, and knowledge of each other. But to your point of, uh, to your point of kind of trying to find um, folks, I would reach out to people and, and have informational chats, coffee chats with them, you know, and just to, just to kind of learn about them and see, see what they had to offer and, uh, what I could learn from them. And if I enjoyed our conversations, I would continue to check in with them and, and, and have conversations with them. But again, it was not, hey, I want you to be my mentor. It was, hey, let's grab coffee. I love the work that you're doing. Tell me more about it. So I think switching to um, kind of being a senior dev and maybe a little bit more in the formal capacity um, at least in your mindset, right? I mean, you as a senior dev, when you're working with your other coworkers uh, and you sort of have this idea that, okay, I, I need to help my coworkers, even though your coworkers, you, you haven't established that it's sort of this, this mentorship. Are there certain strategies that, or methods that you use to make sure that the time that you spend with your coworkers sort of is, is productive and um, beneficial? Interesting. Um, You know, I don't necessarily approach it as, and I think labeling things as a senior developer is maybe too much, but I don't necessarily approach it as, okay, I'm spending some time with, quote, junior developers. I just see them as everyone is my peer, they're my teammate. We have different skill sets. Perhaps I'm more experienced in, I'm definitely not more experienced in many of the technologies we use, um, simply because there's just too many for me to keep up with. Um, 
but perhaps I have more experience in breaking down a problem or understanding a certain domain. For instance, if I'm on a team that's building some finance software, perhaps I have more finance history. So I can, I'm able to understand what the, what the stakeholders actually want us to build and help my peers break down that work and deliver a system that actually does what they need it to do. And I think that's what mostly being, and that comes with experience and working with, working with software and seeing how different things play out over time. And maybe that's what is more senior. It's not about being a better programmer. It's more about being able to translate business problems into software solutions and then being able to work with a team to actually create that solution and deliver it and support it and deliver value that way. Hmm. So is there, is there sort of a formal encouragement amongst your peers to, again, I think we've kind of defined that mentorship as a framework that we use to act proactively reflect on a relationship, right? I think at least for in, 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 in the cases that we're sort of talking about, um, how do you in- encourage mentorship or creating these types of relationships amongst your peers so that everyone is able to exchange information and ideas and, and grow from each other? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think having a general, even if you don't have a formal mentorship relationship or someone's on your radar as you know, you're helping them with something, you know that they are interested in learning these things. Uh, If you come across, well, as you're talking with everyone, you will, you can pick up, oh, this person is an expert in messaging in Kafka, or this person is an expert in Node. And so you start to pick up those things, and then you'll learn as you network with these people or, or get to know them that oh, they are actually really good at helping other people with these things, or they're, they've expressed interest in helping other people. And so when you notice other folks who are struggling in those areas or have a particular question that I'm not an expert in, connect them and say, you know what, um, Susie has expertise in this. I know that she's helped me with this in the past. I'm not an expert on this. I could I could guess, but I think if you approach her she would really be able to help you. And that's, I've seen success in that. And I think people have said, oh, I, thanks for sending them my way. I've been looking for opportunities to help people do this and I've had trouble. Um, so that's how I would necessarily inc- encourage it, but end up getting it to happen organically in that sense. Um, yeah, sort of help facilitate the people-to-people transaction a little bit. Yeah, and I think when I when I see that someone is able to help someone else do that, I might if if they don't have the self confidence or if they have never done this before, I might encourage them and say, Hey, you know what? I think that this would be a great thing to share with the team. Here is how I would go about doing it. I could share it like if we were working on a problem together doing some pair programming and we came to a solution that was new and I and I recognized that it could help a broader audience, I might suggest to the other person, hey, why don't you go bring this up in a lunch and learn or why don't you post what we found in the Slack channel for the larger team? This is how I might do it. If they're not feeling confident about that, I might uh, give them some feeder lines and say, this is what I might try. Let me know, like, feel free to do this. I think it'd be a good opportunity. And um, that's where aligning with the organization comes in too, because if, if I'm able to help that person by say, you know what, this is actually part of the expectations that the company has in order to get promoted, uh, is sharing knowledge about something or helping another team solve a problem that you have already solved. If you go and do this, I'm basically handholding you to go do this, and I'm happy to help you do this. And it aligns with getting you promoted. Uh, that's a win for them because they get promoted, and I like to I like to see my my friends get promoted. Um, it's also a win for the company, and uh, it's a win for the other people that now have their 
problem solved by someone else. And those sorts of interactions are like really valuable to everyone. Hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think it's finding ways to align the goals of the developers with the goals of the business and your job sort of as a developer and, you know, a senior developer by extension is to understand what your coworkers enjoy and what they're good at to be able to help them, help them do that. And so that, that to me seems like a little bit of sort of where this idea of mentorship comes in, right? It's sort of a, you're finding, finding opportunities and helping your other coworkers find opportunities to, to be better. Maybe not necessarily directly interacting with you, but helping them, you know, point them in the right direction. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to quantify because once, once uh, people are learning these skills and learning that it's okay to do that and they gain the confidence, they start doing it without even including me and I'm not even aware of it. Uh, and that's how organizations grow organically and, uh, you know, multiply everyone's effort because now th these things are happening and I'm, I'm not even going to take credit for it and I don't even know it's happening. Uh, and to the organization and to everyone involved, everyone benefits, even though it doesn't get tied back to me directly at that point. So I'm curious to hear sort of a few things that you've learned from being part of a team and contributing at a senior level. You've kind of talked about a few things that you have done um, as a senior developer. What are some things that you've learned um, sort of contributing at the senior level? I've learned that I'm definitely not the smartest person in the organization on all topics and definite, and perhaps not even the smartest person in the organization about even a single topic. Um, so it's less, I've learned that um, what I think is not necessarily right. It might be a good idea, but it might not be the best idea. And even if it is, even if I do think it is the best idea, and even if it is the best idea, if I can't get people to agree with that, then it's not going to be a success. So it's more about collaborating and building consensus more than being right or being the smartest or being the expert on the topic or even taking credit for it. Does that kind of play in a little bit to the soft skills you were mentioning before around building consensus, being able to talk about your idea in a constructive way that conveys what it is that you're trying to, to accomplish and, and maybe even sometimes a non-technical way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the soft skills, the communication, the consensus building, and taking a collaborative approach to problem solving is by far the thing I spend my most time doing versus knocking out some code. And even when I'm, I am knocking out some code, it's mostly by pair programming with someone else. Maybe because I'm not an expert in Java, and, and they are, and I understand what uh, the domain model should look like, or, or I understand the problem that we're solving, or what the API should be, but I might not necessarily know the exact Java stuff to write. Uh, or because I'm teaching someone alongside me writing this code, well, hey, if I'm writing this code and there's someone out there that wants to learn, well, I absolutely should take the opportunity to combine those efforts. That's another example of... Um, leveraging my knowledge to help other people in the organization. Yeah, I think pair programming is a great is a great way to facilitate that exchange of, of knowledge. Absolutely. So I'm curious when, when things don't go right, you know, I, you know, also known as failure, uh, <laughs> what is uh, what does that look like and what does that mean to you sort of on the senior level and, and, and how do you learn from it? I think, so there's, the failures that I've dealt with have been more about 
not building the right thing or not being aligned on what we were building with what they expected or wanted in the best way. We might have built exactly what we thought the, the problem was, but missed some key aspect. And, you know, that's the part of agile software that's really helpful is because if you start small, you know, you kind of always understand, you always have this understanding. We don't fully understand the problem. We aren't going to be able to create the perfect solution. If we try, that's a recipe for disaster. So let's get something out there. Let's get it moving. Let's get some feedback from actual users using it. And then change as we are guaranteed to have to change. So let's align our organization and our teams and how we work in a way that allows us to change quickly because we know we're always going to miss the mark or the mark will change. And if we can't support that, that's failure. That's long-term failure is the inability to deliver that value to the business. Yeah, when you're talking about sort of building in small chunks, it reminds me of a, a visual image of Agile described as three different three different types of watercraft. So the first is a canoe that gets you across the river, right? So the goal is I need to get across the river, right? You have a canoe. That's your first iteration. You can get across the river. Second iteration, it's a speedboat. Maybe a little bit more comfortable, gets you there faster, right? Third iteration, maybe it's a cruise ship. Travel in style, still still accomplishing the goal, but now you have lots of bells and whistles. And scalable. Scalable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cruise ship as a definition of scale. Yeah. <laughs> I like that metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Versus doing the hard work up front of figuring out, oh, we need the ability to deliver 10,000 people across the river. Let's start building a cruise ship right away. Only to find out that, you know, the cruise ship, the river's not deep enough for a cruise ship. And so we end up building something that's just stuck. Versus, well, at least we still got the canoe. So I think this ties this ties into a little bit of uh, sort of your your description of avoiding tech debt. Um, can you kind of reframe it in in the in the sense of tech debt? Yeah, sure. So I think now tech debt has many. Everyone's got their own definition of what tech <laughs> debt is, and I would never never imply that I understood to the fullest extent of and have the canonical version of what tech debt is. But tech debt to me is um, stuff you built that you end up not needing or stuff you built that ended up slowing your ability to change in the future or deliver stuff you do need in the future. And the, I think the way you avoid that is... You know, you can envision the the complex, the perfect future, the ideal state. You can envision that and have that on your roadmap or have that in your head as what you're reaching for. But you don't actually need to start building that. You don't need to be building anything that even remotely looks like that, like the cruise ship versus the canoe. You can software is malleable it's not a construction project so you can always change what you have now as long as you haven't coded yourself into a corner or or gold plated so much that now to make a change it's so convoluted so simple is always better because it can always be changed and so you can start building the thing that will get you closer or that you, you can start building the first pass or the thing that might get you there uh, even if it doesn't necessarily look exactly like your ideal complex future state that has every bell and whistle it doesn't necessarily even have to have any bells and whistles until um, you're sure you need it and that you you've tested that your hypothesis up front is start or is accurate and kind of validated that your your vision was actually what you needed because most of the time by the time you get to that vision it's very different than it started out as and so if you start building towards that right away you'll have tech debt 
Right on. I like that. Simple is better. That 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 is true in so many, so many realms of our life. <laughs> <laughs> it gets complicated yeah. fast, yes. and that's the, that's the other thing is that the complications are natural, and so you want to you want to work in a way that embraces the complexity, sort of the natural complexities that are present in your life and in your in your business goals, and don't add a kind of. A, and don't add artificial complexities or complexity for complexity's sake because you're going to be bogging yourself down and you won't be able to work on the natural complexities that you're trying to solve. Yeah, I like that. I like that take on technical debt. Let's jump into our very last segment now uh, that I ask all of our guests. It is called Building Bits and Bytes. Oh, boy. It is a lightning round, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Are you ready? I'm going to try my best. All right. So the first one, who was a mentor for you and or who is one of your cheerleaders? Uh, um, <clears throat> definitely one of my cheerleaders is my wife. And uh, she's always there to support me going through the uh, changes in life and changes in career. And I'm always happy to have her by my side. I'd say my mentor is my probably my longest term mentor is actually my dad. And uh, my dad was a software programmer, and I leaned on him a lot in the earlier days when I was transitioning from marketing and business to software. Um, and he really guided me, and obviously he's invested in my success. <laughs> so um, I had that sort of daily check-ins and that sort of thing that were very, very helpful and kept me, never kept, never had me spinning my wheels too long. Excellent. What about worst advice you've ever received? So I think that's a tough one. Um, I think something that I've heard a lot has been, you know what, you should say no more often or you should... Um, it's okay to say no, and I think that's a good that's good advice. But I think it's sometimes taken the wrong way, or maybe people. Uh, maybe the expectation is, if something is not what you're wanting, or if something is you don't think that it's going to pan out the way you want it to, people will say no, and not approach it, and not ex- not explore it anymore. The something that I found works slightly better is if you're still interested in it in some way or you can get something out of it that you do want, instead of saying no, you say not that particular not that particular situation, but what about this situation? And offer you know, maybe you can look at it like negotiating if if a company says, hey, we have a developer job for you, it pays 20 bucks an hour, and you're not interested in that, you might just say no. But if they're, if you liked the company or something, or you, you thought there could be some fruit in that tree, you might say, well, no, that's not going to work for me, but what if you paid me a salary or something, or, or what if I could do it on the nights and weekends, or what if I could be part-time? You never know, and so I guess it never hurts to ask. And I think all, not being afraid to say no is important, um, but I would take it a step further and say it's okay to say no, but it's also okay to um, ex- keep exploring. Because shutting down routes sometimes closes you off to opportunities that you didn't even know existed. I like that. Okay, last one. What is something about you that most people don't know? Something that I've been trying to do is go vegan or vegetarian, but uh, it's been very hard for me. (laughs) Too many things have been coming up in my life, um, whether it's kids with special dietary restrictions and I end up eating what they're eating or or whatever. It's been very difficult to stick to it. 
Well, I, I commend you for, for trying and for sticking with it. You know, it's a, <laughs> Thanks. Well, yeah. well, don't give me credit yet. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today and, uh, looking forward to all the great things you're going to continue to do in our, our continued conversations uh, around other tech topics that we'll, that we'll dive into. Uh, hopefully, love to have you back on and we can chat about other things uh, that are of interest. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. Our thoughts on the mentality of a senior engineer, the idea of simple is better mindset for building our products and what mentoring means, both from an informal and formal viewpoint, and how we as people can and should build relationships with others in order to grow our knowledge base and career. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building with People for People, the Unfiltered Build podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave a review. If you're building something that is interesting and aims to solve a human problem and would like to be a guest on this show, please send me an email at join the podcast at unfilteredbuild.com.